0: You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, the Guild 9 gaming podcast covering board games to war games and beyond.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to our favorite podcast, Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host Justin and I'm here with my scruffy looking nerf herders, Jason and Dan. What's going on guys?
2: I'm extra scruffy tonight. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, he is. He demonstrated this by rubbing that yeah. scruff into the microphone. It was great. Right
2: there. This one? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> my first and last scruff scratch.
1: Well, we've got a show ready for you tonight. Um, we, were, we had sort of discussed this as one of our topics a couple episodes ago. Um, we're going to get into Kickstarter and sort of what it means for the gaming community but before we get into that we want to address our geek week so uh jason why don't you kick us off
0: uh my geek week uh unlike the past ones where i was kind of talking about gaming related movies and stuff this one um, i got into sucked into another video game that's been around for about three years Uh, so no man's sky finally came on sale on the xbox been on sale on other platforms the ps4 which it first came on and pc for a little bit but uh it finally hit the price point that i've been waiting for on the xbox and uh justin you pointed it out and i was like oh there it is there's the price i was looking for so i pulled the trigger and i have been going to bed at like 2 a.m <laughs> i'm back into the okay okay so i need five sodium oxide bars mixed with three you know, and it's just nonstop grind and, you know, that, that addictive mind craft <laughs> in space feeling. Um, yeah. And then just the immensity of space. Like, I played Elite Dangerous for since it came out, before it came out, actually. Uh, I played the 1980 version, 84 version of Elite Dangerous. 83, 84, something like that. Uh, and then uh, the latest, not Elite, but yeah, and then the latest version that's been out on the uh, current kind of generation systems. I just love giant space kind of simulators. And while No Man's Sky is definitely much more arcade, it's been what's consuming most of my geek week this past a little bit.
1: Would you say that that's another idea that I presented to you?
0: Um, I don't know. I've the, like No Man's Sky has been cuz I have a PS4 and I actually, I almost bought it when it first came out. Um, but I something had me hold off, and I'm glad it did, because that game had a lot of hype up front that it did not, it did not produce on what they said they were going to produce. Right. For several years after, well, a couple years after it was out, did they finally get kind of the foundation they needed to implement, you know, kind of the mass online cloud connected uh, game that they have. Which is
1: interesting, because there's a lot of games that seem to be doing that, right? Which is, they're promising something, and the product that they deliver isn't hundred percent what everybody assumed it was based on you know the marketing that they had and so um that's when video game companies sort of get in trouble right they're they're pushing to release they're trying to get it out there and they know the product that they want in the end but they just can't deliver it when they said they were going to and then it It kind of messes with the community a little bit like they get upset they don't want to play it for a while and -hmm. then come around like two or three years later people are like oh no no it's actually a really good game and i'm going to be honest it took me a really good friend at work to tell me like no that game is awesome you need to get it because i had heard all the terrible
0: bad things you know Mm -hmm. so destiny is another game kind of like that and this game has a very similar interface if you're familiar with Destiny, the interface is very kind of has a feel for that through the menu system, at least through the menu system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the same way. You ask many people that have played Destiny for the you know umpteen years that the game was out, and they say, "Yeah, I played the Destiny beta the whole time it was released." You know, and then yeah. Destiny Two came out, and you know, basically, Destiny Two had the all the buzzes and the bells that everyone was expecting from the first one. And if you played Destiny Two. You think, Well, oh, this is this is it. This is the game that we've all kind of been waiting for. It's just that it took, you know, umpteen years I think it was two or three, right? Yeah. To actually get to Destiny Two. And by that point, everyone had kinda of already been like, Yeah, we're done with this and you know, kinda of, a lot of people had kinda of moved on. I guess that's kind of the same thing here with No Man's Sky, but um it's it's a good – I'm playing it now. It definitely has overcome a lot of those issues that were plaguing the game from uh, the early days.
1: Awesome. So I recommend too, it. It's on I like, too got it. Yeah. So spoiler alert. I yeah. have also been staying up too late.
0: I don't know if the sale is still on. I think it was 25 bucks. I saw like it on that. my
1: Facebook feed the other day. So it's it, – or just today. Yeah, so, still going. Yeah. Not a and bad it, price it's multiple. considering
0: I've probably already put 25 hours into
1: it. Yeah. Exactly. Dollar an hour.
0: Yep. That's how right. I rate my games for quality. It's like Elder Scrolls, Oblivion, yeah. like that game cost me like I think they I think I netted money on that game. It's just,
1: they actually started paying me to play it. Yeah, they did. They were like, Well, look at this guy, he's got like four hundred and fifty hours in this game. He's amazing. All right, Dan, what about you? What's what's your geek week look like?
2: Um for. Budding DMS or GMS that have a hard time learning how to explain things, I highly recommend finding a really cool action show on Netflix that has the descriptive audio text, or like on Disney Plus. So I've been listening to The Mandalorian as I've been doing other things with the descriptive audio text, and it's just a really great way to describe action very succinctly and tightly, and it's just really, um, it's a really cool mindset. To get your brain into for DMing and GMing so um, pick something that you like and hopefully the audio text is recorded by a person not by Siri because they have a couple of those out there that are a little more annoying to listen to but um, it's a great way to uh, that's one thing you can do with streaming video that has kind of an RPG application and that could be very useful and fun um, my other geek week is I'm still highly addicted to Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. I'm resisting spending money on it, but it is a it is a daily test of my will not to put money into that game because you can buy resources with real money. And, uh, just <laughs> this is the no. one you stayed up late. <laughs> this is this is going back to just, our first episode. I think just right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I've been I've been acquiring things too and putting things together and going man. I'm I gotta acquire more of these, more of these resources, <laughs> so I can update. So I can get Boba Fett as latest armor. It's crap. So don't do it. Don't do it, kids. Don't get started. Just, just say no to any game that has uh, microtransactions. Uh, microtransactions, because they're designed to release dopamine on a very quick basis to get you hooked. <coughs> um, and. Uh, I also completed, I'm waiting for one last book to come in for the entire FFG hardbound collection, except for one book they've yet to publish, which is on the boat, and another one, which is uh, in the mail. I have them all. (laughs) Much to my wife's chagrin. She's like, what did you just do? I'm like, they're going out of print. I know they're going out of print. Don't argue with me. They're going out of print.
1: You should have told her to listen to our last episode, and then she'd be fine with it.
2: I I perished the thought.
0: <laughs> so wait, can we back up a minute? Yeah. You, what gave you the idea to listen to the descriptive dialogue when you were watching something on TV? Because I swear I see that and think, oh, that's for old people.
2: Um, it could be a um, it could be for a, old people. Could have people? been another that what you uh, said? <laughs> yeah, or, or
0: people who. I guess, yeah, people <laughs> no, who for, are maybe it's, vision it's impaired. For, that's, for that's true. visually impaired true, people, yeah. but <laughs> if you're
2: listening to an action show, it's like the Mandalorian whips out his blaster, fires at the alien, picks him up and drops him with a solar plex. Like, you have to be real punchy and crispy, and, and it, it takes a lot of thoughtful... Um, it's the exact opposite of what I'm doing now. I'm using too many words to explain my idea. <laughs> uh, if you want to explain action... In a very quick, succinct way, listen to an action show, and you can watch it too. I just, I just have it on while I'm doing other things like the dishes or cleaning up or something like that. But it is no, it's a great it's, idea. It's, I just want to like, cool. what,
0: what gave you the idea? Like I, I, think I don't. thought was another. It was know, another, you know, it it was another
2: RPG podcast. I think. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Um, yeah. But I'd never actually done it. I'd heard it years ago, and I finally got around to doing it because I wanted to go back through Mandalorian again. But because so much of it is visual, you can't like do another thing. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just turn on the descriptive text and uh, I it's it's cool. It's cool. It, it it makes you think about, man, if I was the perfect GM, I could describe this battle in 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 very short sentences in a very impactful way.
0: I guess it's a cool cuz if you if you turn that on and then you also turn on subtitles, does it show the descriptive text in the subtitles? No. Uh-uh.
2: No, just the, just oh, okay. what they're saying. Just what they're gotcha. saying.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so, cool. That's very cool. I mean, you know, yeah, gosh, I was not every show has those kinds of things. So I know like cuz we turn subtitles on all the time just cuz I've got we've got so many kids and dogs in the house. It's, sometimes it's just hard to follow what's happening. Yeah, so we we'll turn subtitles. We well, uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then sometimes some shows you watch, you know, like um I can't think of one off the top of my head, but sometimes you'll watch some shows and it's just the way the actors are portraying the characters. Like, sometimes my wife and I have to rewind, like, what is he saying? What did he say? Yeah, what's like, that he's, mumbling? He's mumbling. Like, you know, you got to turn subtitles on to see it. But that's a really cool concept um, to get some ideas for how to describe things. And yeah. I might have to try that. Just,
2: just give it a go and make sure it's something you, you like, you know, or send something you've already seen before because it could be a little on the distracting side if you're trying to visually take it in.
0: Yeah, I guess, and to make you know, to emphasize the point that uh, Justin was saying, that I guess this is was mainly intended for people you know who for disabilities, right, who who still want to engage in kind of the action of the show, um, but can, you know can't protect in kind of with all the audio visual sensors that we have. So this is a cool way to kind of um, employ that in another way.
2: Yeah, just give it a listen, give it a try, and if it's annoying, don't do it. But it. it if you all are running games, it's uh, it's more useful than, than you'd expect.
0: Cool. Very cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, our friend Justin is muted right now. So while he's muted, uh, we'll just kind of jump into the next thing here.
1: Dang it, I was talking the whole time. <laughs> I was
0: talking the whole time. I thought I you were made in the a the bathroom. Co- oh, my gosh. I made a,
1: I made a totally hilarious... Clip of, or a clip I'm about. I'm sure it was fun. It was awesome. I'm sure it
0: was. I said
1: I expect your report on the uh, alternative dialogue from Friends the next time you watch it. Alternative dialogue.
2: <laughs> Ross rolls his eyes. Yeah, exactly. Rachel rolls her eyes. <laughs> Courtney Cox's character puts up her hands, exasperated. Jo- Joey smiles coyly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, not necessary. <laughs> Dumbfoundedly. <Not necessary. laughs> And the yeah, Mandalorian right. ones are really good. And the funny thing is, is it doesn't stop to explain anything. It, it, it'll it say, a Rodian pulls out a blaster. But it doesn't say, a Rodian is a green-faced alien with black buttons. <laughs> it's like, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's talking to you. It's going straight to the shorthand of the nice. least possible words to tell you what's going on.
0: Cool.
1: Awesome. All right, so my so now that I'm unmuted, my hobby week, include a little bit of No Man's Sky... Um, I got some hobbying done. I finished the heads on my uh, Ardboy force that I'm kind of redoing because I hated their heads. So I did some hobbying there and did some basing. Happy to get that stuff done. Just, you know, getting ready to paint. I'm excited to do that. Can I interrupt um, you, Can I interrupt yeah.
2: you to, to to brag about you and Jim real fast?
1: For those who are aware of who
2: Matt Mercer is in the gaming community. Matt Colville. Uh, Justin and our buddy Jim uh, put together a 3D mini that had a multi-headed hydra and they had magnetic heads that could be chopped off. When you chopped off the head, it had all the gooey insides. And Jim printed it and Justin painted it and it's a work of art. And uh, Matt Mercer tweeted about it and took a Matt photo Colgo. of it. So it's pretty awesome that our, our 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 cool, sad, little micro-obscure gaming group you know, intersected with the gods of Mount Olympus of RPGs
1: it's true i uh it was it was nice to get that so uh nice that he put it up on there i'm glad that uh, my little my little thing got on there and if you guys want to see any of like the minis i usually post work in progress on my instagram um uh, it's at el renegato um and i'll post it in the the notes of the show if anybody's interested in following and checking it out
0: and i guess so. the key to the success here is uh just uh, lack of sleep right
1: uh, yeah, Jason asked me at one point, "How do I get a lot of the stuff done that I do?" And I say, "When do I sleep?" Yeah. And uh, my wife tells me all the time, "I need to sleep more, so I should probably do that." You can sleep when you're dead, man. I know. Um, I will or say be... though. Yeah. <laughs> I will say though that my dreams is where I come up with some of my best ideas.
0: <laughs> so you you could probably get some scary dreams, man. Hey, well, I don't. I don't even want to go. I'm, this isn't going to turn into a dream podcast.
1: I could fill out no, a whole no, podcast. Let's, let's I could. I'm
2: My dreams you. are scary because Justin's in them.
1: So, so Ew. speaking of speaking of idea, let me let me let me kind of move on to this real quick. I was watching an episode of Battlestar Galactica the other day because I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I've never completed the series. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So wait, the old one or the new one? The new one. Don't spoil it for me. You probably already have when we played Battlestar Galactica together. Yeah, um, I was anyway. Cylon. Yeah, exactly. Spoiled. Spoiler alerts They're Cylons. <laughs> um, anyway, I was watching an episode of Battlestar Galactica. It was the one where they found sort uh, kobal right? Which was sort of the ancient planet that was going to lead them
0: back to Earth. Okay, that was called Kolob on the show. No, it's Cobol. No, it's Cobal. C o b o l. Yeah. Co-op, right? Just with yeah. A couple right. letters. Don't,
1: don't do this. <laughs> so, let's,
2: let's, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Back away slowly.
1: So, anyway, um, the story was is that like these guys were going down as like sort of an away party. They were going to check out the surface of the planet. And they ended up crashing because they got shut down by Cylons. And they ended up on the planet. And it was this you know planet that was habitable, but they were brand new to it. They had nothing there. So... Shortly after I watched that, I said, "That sounds like an awesome beginning to an RPG." So I posted in our Guild Nine Gaming group chat about um, an RPG, cr- creating an RPG that um, basically a spaceship of humans crashes to earth crashes to this habitable planet. And the goal is to survive, and then once you survive, then to expand out there, like maybe, you know, once you kind of meet some people or tribes of people, like you do some things for them and get in their good graces, and all of a sudden you find out that they're warring against another tribe, or, you know, you come across ancient artifacts that increase your understanding of the planet, or... You know, and the goal is to survive and maybe eventually get off of the planet. But there's going to be a lot of steps in between there. And I thought that that sounded like a pretty cool RPG to actually write and develop. And so I kind of had a good idea to start that. Yeah. Um, roll, dude. Yeah. So step one that I wanted to do is that I um, got this game off of Drive-Thru RPG. It's called Microscope. And what it is, is it's a world-building game. Like, basically, you define some parameters of history, and then you take turns to inject either periods or events or specific scenes that happen within your parameter of history. So, like, you know, injecting a period might be like the rise and fall of the Roman Empire or something like that, you know, but in your own world. Um, and then, you know, an event might be the assassination of Julius Caesar, or, you know, the likewise type of thing. So, um, I gathered some of our good friends, um, in Guild 9 Gaming, and we are starting, in fact, we just, kind of kicked it off today, we started an online version of this where we're going to be going through and creating the whole backstory of this planet that this group of space travelers is going to crash onto, So that'll help give me, like, sort of the fodder to write and develop the RPG and kind of unlock different areas or unlock different histories that might, you know, give the players access to magic or to, um, you know, technology or you know, understanding the people better, that they can, you know, then have better alliances or something like that. So I think it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm excited that we're sort of doing this collectively. I think it's going to go in a really cool direction that none of us have. It's it's going to be, it's just going to be a fun jam together, you know?
0: Yeah, it um, That reminds me there is um, uh, the game Factorio which uh, came out around circa 2012, or began around 2012. I think, actually, I just pulled the Wikipedia page up. I think 2016 is when it kind of went on Steam, green-lighted on Steam, maybe. But I think the concept there is that you've kind of crashed into this planet, and Mm -hmm. um, it's a a RTS game, a real-time strategy game. Like uh, build craft, industrial craft, I guess, but whatever. Uh, the goal there, right, is that you start from nothing on this planet. You have to kind of slowly start to build your industry back up. With the winning the game is by creating a rocket that you then launch to get back off of the planet's surface. So it's kind of a cool uh, thing. Not at all the same setting as playing the kind of game that you know you're kind of creating here. In this case, it's more of a you know living the lives and, and well, the standard thing that RPG does. Whereas this is just an RTS game. But The concept right. there that you know you've, you're you're stuck on this planet. You got to find a way to either get off it or make, make do with what you got.
1: Yeah. Make a new life almost. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of this RPG because it's like you, the, you have advanced individuals, like in terms of technology and science and philosophy, maybe, you know, and, and intellect landing on a primitive planet. And so those skills of being a computer engineer all of a sudden mean nothing. Becoming a weapons expert with laser guns all of a sudden means nothing, right? Like, you have to start from scratch. So that explains why you're level one on this planet, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the the little boy in the village that you may discover may be a level 10 because guess what? He can start a fire. He can shoot a bow. He can ride a horse. He can speak languages on the planet. You know what I mean? And you don't have any of those skills. Mm -hmm. So you got to learn them. You know, I, I think that's uh, I think that's kind of an interesting concept.
0: I think the um, I'm probably going to get this wrong and people are going to get angry and go nuts. But uh, years ago, when I used to read like the Warhammer 40K books a little bit here and there, I think the origin of the Dark Angels was, you know, the empire of man had spread throughout kind of the universe or the galaxy, the universe whatever. And these guys went to a certain place of space and something happened. There was a rift that broke, you know, whether it killed a wormhole or something. And they were trapped. And not only were they trapped on one side, but they trapped and they crashed onto the planet. And so it took, like, an entire civilization back to, like, the stone or the Iron Age to go back all the way back to technology again before they could come back and, like, rejoin um, the rest of the. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, interesting settings there. It's, you know, I would say that it's a setting that has, that does have a little bit of use uh, today, but it definitely presents an interesting uh, thing that will, will be really fun to play and create and world build inside of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm excited about it. I'm calling it the Avalon Project. I'm sure I'll give you guys updates as I go along. Um, but, yeah. And, and I, I kind of like the idea of crowdsourcing a lot of this, you know? Sounds like fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. So that I mean, kind of big geek week for me. I've been kind of busy that way. Dang.
0: Very cool. Good for you. Yeah.
1: Uh, what news do we guys did, have? We seen nothing big like FFG uh, falling apart this week. Yeah, it's old like. news now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Let's see. I noticed. I got a notification in my email that. Um. D&D was dropping a new source book that's coming out called The Mythic Odysseys of Theros. So this will be coming out in June, um, at least digitally. I'm sure it's coming out to print around then too. Um, But it sounds like um, it's sort of Greek-themed a little bit. Um, It's got Hydras, it's got omen speaking oracles, it's got champions of the gods vying for immortal favor, um, living myths, I mean it sounds very, um, you know, Greek mythology, Um, which is kind of interesting, I I wonder, I mean you're you're walking in the lands of Theros is what it says, so it sounds like it's a new area, not necessarily the, uh, you know, I guess it's part of the shadow realm still, maybe?
2: I think it's an interesting idea to have supernatural, uber-powerful beings that may have different agendas besides just destruction and demonic evilness. Um, you know, we played a few of the, the D&D modules where you're going up against, you know, big-time demons, you know. And yeah. uh, their motivations are, are a little uh, little uh, shallow. So this looks really interesting. Um, I hope uh, somebody in our group gets it, and I hope I end up getting getting to play it, because it looks like uh, something to really sink your teeth into.
1: So here's what's interesting to me, is that um, we had a friend who um, joined a Kickstarter, and it's called the odyssey of the dragon lords rpg. He got his stuff. I think the actual purchase for like if you didn't do the kickstarter is in pre-order like I see it on miniature market, right? So, it's a module that was released for 5e and I kid you not, it like literally just came out. It is a odyssey style fantasy campaign drawing inspiration from the ancient greek epics including the odyssey the odyssey the iliad and the argonautica um so it's kind of interesting this this has what seems to be a little bit more of a greek flavor than the other one but um i I think the timing is kind of interesting that we have like two greek supplements made by different companies for 5e coming out at the same time
2: well and it's great to have there's ips out there that are very open and so you know Ancient mythology is a great place to plunder. There's lots of, anything of a certain vintage, anything that's basically older than Mickey Mouse, you can go plunder and and use as, you know, the equivalent of public domain. So, you know, the Greek stuff is great. It's cool. It's interesting. And it's not a bad fit for 5e. So, you know, more power to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just I find the timing from Wizards of the Coast kind of funny that that came out like right after this did. I mean, I'm not suggesting anything, or am I?
2: Well, these take a while, and everybody in the industry talks to each other, and um, you know the the thing that Wizards has is their own IP, so they can make stuff up and copyright it and keep everybody else out. You take the Odyssey, you take stuff that's you know three or four thousand years old. You can you can come out with with a uh, your own supplement tomorrow. Like yeah. we, the three of us could sit around and write a supplement as well that is just as good and put it out there, just set to for people to buy. And these these folks could not sue
1: us. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So if you're interested in Greek stuff, uh, I highly recommend you check both of them out. Um, Dragon, uh, the Odyssey of the Dragon Lords is the supplement that was made by a third party, and then it was the Odyssey of, or sorry, it was called. It's, the... it's
2: Modiphius Entertainment. And they put out a lot of really yeah. quality stuff.
1: Yep, and They're then the good. Mythic Odysseys of Theros is the one that uh, Wizards of the Coast is making that will be out in June. So that'll be cool. Uh, a lot of godlike weapons. It says in there that might be interesting, rolling around. Um, let's see what else was in it. Oh, big news yesterday for the Warhammer community. Uh, the Nova open, uh, tickets went on sale at 8 PM last night mm-hmm. and the website was down from 8 PM to probably eight, what, 15, 8, 20 PM. Something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh man. It, like it just kept crashing bad. And I mean, I thought I was in it and I was doing pretty good until I went to go to checkout and then it just kept saying, the like service can't connect to the outside service that you're looking for. I'm like, well, that's just great. So it was really what, what was crashing was the um payment service that the Nova Open was using. Uh, because like you could get around in the web store. Like it was a little difficult, it was taking a little while to load the pages, but it would pop up and when you put your tickets in the card it would happen and you go to check out and it would just time out. Bam. Time out bam. And then it started giving you a weird code and all that stuff. And yeah, it just was... Is, uh, connect- they've, been,
2: they've been cutting corners on their web stuff for a long time. They've been running the same engine for the last several yeah. years. And if you if you've been on their website, it's pretty jank. So considering how much money they take in for Nova Open, I'm kind of shocked that they don't have a better... A SaaS platform with a lot of elasticity that could handle that peak traffic. They kind of should know a little better. This is like a big growing pain where, you know, you don't put up your website and then tell everybody to register. The day you put up the day the day tickets go on sale is the day everybody's going to pile on and get those tickets that are going to sell out. So they're kind of victims of their own success here.
1: Uh, let's see. There was. I'm going to spitball because I can't see the exact number right now, but I think that there was um, 70 tickets for doubles, and those oh, there's only four left for that. Now, this opened 24 hours ago, essentially. So, you know, 66 tickets for the Age of Sigmar doubles are gone. There's 11 tickets for the Age of Sigmar Grand Tournament, and there's 150 of those tickets available. Um, let's see. For the Age of Sigmar RTT... There was 68 tickets available, or 64, something like that, and there's only 29 left. So you can see that those are being snatched right up. Um, if, if you are looking in the market for a 40K ticket, Warhammer 40K, uh, good luck, because I believe that the 40K tournament completely sold out at like 8.45 p.m. last night. And, um, I mean, they've got, like, a three-player tournament and a five-player team tournament. And there's only, like, a couple tickets left on those, too. So
0: mm-hmm. Those are pricey, too.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, Jason, do you want to talk about the price a little bit? It was a lot different this year.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, for sure. You know, the Age of Sigmar Grand Tournament is $70. It was for... 40 last year. Yeah. And <clears throat> the... I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm not super happy with the schedule this year um i love the doubles i think it's a lot of fun to just sit across the table from from two dudes with you and your buddy and just kind of have a good time but the doubles overlaps the rtt it's all yeah. on the same day this year um and so you can't <clears throat> you can't do both of those and the grand tournament is friday to saturday it's kind of all on its own thing and then they've got the war cry on sunday unless of course you're in the top what is it top five top eight Top eight, the top eight for the GT, and then that's on Sunday too. So there's a lot of overlap. But if you think about it, I mean, it's this is just my opinion, right? And one thing to keep in mind is that Nova Open is a charity um, organization, so they donate proceeds to charity. So that's something to to keep in mind. But you know, you got to pay for a day pass, and each day's pass is what, twenty dollars, right? Twenty bucks. If you get the whole convention pass, it's forty it's for, i thought it was 60 if you get the whole convention oh, pass it is i think it's 60 yeah and then events so are,
2: if, events are 30 40 50 60 70 yeah, dollars a and day
0: and that's the time. thing right and so if you're already if you're going to do the gt unless you think you're an awesome player you know you could just get away with two days friday and saturday that's 20 40 bucks plus 70 110 just to play in a gt yeah, so yeah it's a lot of money to to play in a gt uh, just my opinion right there. Uh, and even the doubles. The doubles, you know, you're usually splitting it with the dude, so it's not that big a deal. So you're looking at $70 to play in the doubles. Yeah. Uh, $20 for the ticket if you're just doing that day, and then $50 uh, for that. But So it's a good amount of money. Um, I will say I think it's more ex- – this is generally how – I think tabletop games go, though, as they're typically more money. But my wife and I were talking about this. My wife's not a big gamer, but uh, she's usually pretty savvy when it comes to finances and stuff like that. But she runs, she runs our house. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I just bring the money in. She figures out how it's supposed to be. Anyway, so um, the thing is is that like, when we go to Gen Con, it's like $110, I think, this year for the entire four days. Right 110 what's the yep. price, I think and then the events are like two to six dollars each yeah, a, four, depending. a four hour a four hour board game can cost you like four to six dollars. a yeah. two and a half in this situation, a two and a half hour two player tabletop game is going to cost you a little under twenty dollars yep at Nova open. It's it's pricey in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Why do you think that is?
2: I think it's oh. I think it's the venue.
1: Yeah, the venue and space. Uh
2: yeah, they have a lot of space. They got to rent out this whole entire Hyatt. Um and it all feels very crowded and crammed in. So I mean, if you, you know, you walk through some of the 40k areas, it is uh, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. So I don't know. I I think they're definitely going through some growing pains and I'm I think so. Yeah. I like I like Nova Open a lot. I'm not going this year. I went for the last three years prior and I'm I'm kind of Nova opened out. I need a break.
0: Yeah. I'm on the I'm, fence. I have not bought my ticket, so I'm I'm eyeing those eleven left tickets yeah, right now, trying yeah. to figure out what I want to do.
1: I am not going to Gen Con this year, so this is my yeah, this and that's my makes convention sense. you know what i mean yeah so yeah yeah so not only am i going to the grand tournament the doubles i'm planning i'm also playing war cry i am i'm taking a three-day painting seminar with roman lapat which he's um a, just an absolutely amazing display painter i mean you're talking about like mm-hmm. multiple award-winning guy and there's like 25 of us in one room with him for literally, let's see, the first day goes from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. No, sorry, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Second day goes from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then the third day goes from like 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. So we're in, we're in with that dude, close proximity, and he's just walking us through a bunch of stuff. I'm so excited for it.
0: See, I think for you this makes sense, right? Because you've got a lot of this stuff. You're going to be with these people that um, you're know. you you're very familiar with their work. You're going to learn a kind of understudy from from them Uh, you could play all these games you want you live locally so you can travel to it so you're gonna you're gonna spend on maybe like under a little under 300 I think is yeah some like and tickets and all that stuff and that's great for a you know a con that's local you know but if and I'm getting a
1: week's worth of stuff out of it
0: yeah if I was gonna have to drive and also Put a hotel on top of that and transportation, Whew. man, it would start to add up pretty quick.
1: Well, we did that. We did that at Las Vegas Open. We did, and, my, and it
0: added up pretty quick. And my wife has told me I'm not going back to the Las Vegas Open. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> it was it was a lot to get out there. i mean, thinking, did we estimate it ended up costing a thousand dollars? Oh, jeez, yeah. you guys. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a learning experience. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of it fun was for sure.
1: A lot of fun, but it was a it was a grand.
0: Yep, a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So Nova Open out there, if you guys are still on the fence about tickets, you just gotta realize that they are going fast.
0: I will say that um last time I played a Nova Open, uh every every one that was running the show was uh really cool. I think I went to Justin, you went too, we went to a terrain a terrain building day. Because it's local oh, yeah. to us, you yep. know, we could go kinda help them actually make terrain for the games. And that was really cool. So these guys are these guys really are humble people that are just kind of trying to put it together. It's not like it's not like they're <clears throat> they're not making they're not paying their own salaries off of this thing. Yeah, right,
2: I'd, yeah. agree. I'd
1: agree. And they're all volunteers. They're all literally yeah. volunteers. We came yeah. with some of these guys. Like James yeah. was running the terrain for the Age of Sigmar. Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, the judging of all the events that I've dealt with, everybody's been super cool. Um, and getting people to judge events for like, you know, 10 or 12 hour long event for a, a great mm-hmm. tournament. Yeah. That's a huge sacrifice of time. It's in the heat of battle quite literally. And you yeah. have to be up on all the rules and you have to be the guy who has to say you're right and you're wrong. And um, that's, that takes, that to do for fun as a volunteer is, I, I, I take my hats off to those guys because you can't have tournaments without judging So, you know, you can't have, you know, a car without four wheels. They're definitely essential to the hobby.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate all the volunteers because it's literally volunteers. I mean, I don't think they really get anything out of it. Like, not even like a goodie bag that they hand out to, you know, the people who registered early. I would think they'd at least get something like that, right? But... So
2: my first year at Nova Open, I got the second tier goodie bag, and it was amazing just because I was one of the first 500 people to sign on. So they've had to shrink their goodie bags and stuff like that recently. Nonetheless, they're a pretty classy shop. For me, the reason why I'm not going is just because the mental exhaustion of taking time off of work while work is still... Producing mm, yeah. stress, pressure, and I'm in a basement, you know, with <laughs> no cell service and no Wi-Fi, you know, playing playing games. I'm losing left and right at all day long. <laughs> is 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 pretty taxing. Is much more taxing mentally than than Gen Con is.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll keep you updated as we get a little bit closer. In fact, I've got some Age of Sigmar buddies that are probably going to come on in the next couple podcasts to talk about some of the different conventions that are coming up. And we want to approach some topics like, you know, what does it take to go to a wargaming convention? Is it different than like a board game convention and, and all that stuff? So um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, they're um, not the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they, are nope. they are not.
2: And uh, if you haven't done one and you've done the other and you want to check it out, talk to somebody or listen to a podcast where you've got people that try all that stuff and, and get their pointers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the last thing I want to bring up that sort of leads us into our final topic of the night is I saw a pretty sweet Kickstarter. Um, it's called Storm Sunder Heirs of Ruin. It's a story-based solo-slash-cooperative RPG board game. So, you know, those usually tell me, like, think Gloomhaven, think Descent, Journeys into the Dark, you know, think the Lord of the Rings. Um, what, what's that called, Dan? Lord of the Rings? Journey's uh Journeys of Middle-earth, yep. Um, So it's a board game for one to four players, and um, some of these sculpts that they have for the miniatures, uh, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, there's hardly any games that don't come out with miniatures now. It seems to be that that's really what's fueling a lot of the Kickstarter projects or the miniatures that you get with it. Um, But these ones are particularly amazing, and I was just drooling over them. I wanted to paint them so bad um, and even though I've got a whole, literally a whole desk in front of me of a bunch of orcs that I need to paint, but these ones just really caught my eye. It was really awesome. Again, it's called, um, storm Sunder. We'll put it again in the comments of the uh, thing. Check it out. Um, I mean, the first level of pledge is $149, but I mean, you get a bunch of stuff. All of that's this a pretty
0: standard calls. price for something yeah. with that many minis in it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. will say this though, you gotta watch your shipping because it's been a big issue on on uh Kickstarter now is these guys make these games and they realize they get hit with these giant shipping costs later. Um and they either have to take a hit or they have to pass it on. And when you're looking at these guys who are raising, you know, you know, close to a million dollars and they've got, you know, hundreds of backers, they can't absorb the shipping. Um they've got to push it. Yeah. But uh, th- that said, you know, I think these kinds of games can be worth even the shipping costs that you have to pay for the quality uh, that you're going to get out of these.
1: So let's kind of get into it. I mean, we,
0: we can address that a little bit more,
1: but let's get into Kickstarter. That That's sort of our topic of the night. So, um, A, just to, I mean, if you've been living under a rock, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding uh, platform which essentially allows people to, if you have an idea for a project you can put money towards it and it fully funds it and then usually you know you incentivize more people by doing stretch goals which unlocks you know more minis or more content to the game or you know depending on what whatever you do and I mean your goal you set a goal and if you meet that goal then you're fully funded and technically you're supposed to deliver on all of your stuff and send it out to everybody and if you um, exceed that goal quite a bit. Congratulations, you had a very successful Kickstarter. For example, the Storm Sunder, it still has 61 hours to go. Um, its goal was $90,000, and they have $619,000 pledged towards their goal. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's over six times what they had planned. And I, I'm going to credit that to the minis, but, um, Kickstarter, <laughs> I used Kickstarter once actually when I was, um, starting my own chocolate company, we needed to, um, get some equipment for the production of chocolate and we need about $2,500. We set a goal of $2,500 and you know, we were bribing people with chocolate bars and all that stuff. And, um, we got the money that we needed. We begged, borrowed and pleaded. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think our project was super sexy. Again, this was in, like, 2011, though. And I think the idea of crowdfunding something was still relatively new then.
0: Yeah, I'm still waiting for my uh, lifetime supply of chocolate uh, delivery. Well, you're... For backing t- t- The check's in the mail. <laughs> Mr.
1: Right. Wonka, you promised this
0: boy a yeah, yeah. lifetime <laughs> supply of chocolate. I, I'm yes. gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. Though, this is not a lifetime of my lifetime's worth of chocolate. Good day, <laughs> sir. I said good day. Um. So. Kickstarter.
2: So you've yeah for the people that have been living under a rock, or for uh, if this digital file makes it into the next century, they'll go, oh, that sounds interesting. Um. So some of them have been that I've supported have been uh, successful and cool, and it's a great way for somebody to put out a product that would be very hard to get venture venture capital, but does have a market, and it's Kickstarter has been really great to the gaming community. Um, usually, everybody has a, a positive experience and a negative experience with Kickstarter. Um, I spent a bunch of money on magnetic X-Wing mats that I own and don't use, but I think they're cool, and I don't use them for space reasons, less uh, functionality reasons. But I also, three years ago, put in for an RPG that I'm still waiting for. And this guy keeps emailing us, and now there's chapters, there's PDF chapters online, and he, he got bought out by another company that's helping him fulfill his Kickstarter. So there's... Even the submarket of um, three companies. years, huh? wow! Yeah, three years. I it was May of 2017, and since that time, because it was um, a generic kind of RPG that's you know um, IP neutral. And since mm-hmm. that time, Fantasy Flight Games came out with one, and they've already published uh, three or four products. And I've bought all of those, and I play that game all the time, and I'm playing that game on Friday. So the odds of me playing this rpg when it finally shows up or kind of slim to none i'd be happy yeah. to figure out a giveaway contest in guild 9 gaming or for beyond uh, tabletop beyond listeners so <laughs> long story short s- stuff doesn't happen the way you expect yeah always yeah. with a kickstarter
1: now what, what i find interesting is you know like i said i was using kickstarter in 2011 um but i feel like in the gaming community and and this is my opinion here just based on my astute observational skills and very little internet research um it seems like it seems like um a lot of the gaming kickstarter stuff sort of took off when cool minis or not um you know simon put out some of their really top grossing games. You're talking about Zombicide, you're talking about, um, uh, uh, you know, Rising Sun, you're talking about Rage, you're talking about, um, uh, what was some of the other ones, that Viking one that they had, um, Blood something. Anyway, my point is, is that Cool Minis are not seems to be putting out, like, they'll, they'll put out a Kickstarter every year, and they'll literally pull in millions of dollars for that game, right? And, um, you know, they'll have, like, a goal of, like, $30,000, and then they'll pull in, like, you know, like, $10 million for the game, and it's ridiculous. But um, I think that that has um, inspired many other people to go do it. So I'm looking at Kingdom Death Monster, which is the highest... Um, best performing tabletop game on um, Kickstarter. Guess how much it made. Um, Roundabout. I have no idea. 2019, November 29, 2019. No, no, oh, that was us. when just when it was updated. It came out well two years ago, year and a half ago. Take a guess. Just wild
0: ballpark. Go, Dan. Five million. More, ten. More twenty. Twenty five. Forty.
2: Plus,
1: it was twelve, twelve point three million dollars that they got for that game, you know. Jeez. And I mean, that's that sounds like a lot of money, but that also means a lot of production too, mm-hmm. a right? Ton and that's where a lot of, of, a lot of Costco costs go. But you know, I think what happens is a game developer, um, you know, especially like sort of like middle of the road gaming companies, you know, like maybe not too big. Um, some that, you know, can produce quality games, but they're not big enough to be sort of their own publishers. At this point, it feels like cool minis are not in the board game arena can print their own money, you know. I mean, they're not Milton Bradley and can print Monopoly money, but, you know, it's still essentially the same fact. (laughs) I'm on Um, Kickstarter
2: right now, and CMON, the company you mentioned, is putting out a Marvel title. Oh, yeah. Like a serious IP, you know, gamer game with... A really compelling, cartoony, kidsy graphics with awesome minis, and I'm like, "You're talking," and I'm all looking for my credit card here. I'm not yeah. even joking. I'm like, "Heck!" Yeah. But and yeah, th- there's there's a reason why board games took off on Kickstarter mainly because a board game cre- is is very capital intensive to start up, and when you if you don't know what your market is and you don't know how many you need to send off for a print run. You know, you were you have to come out in the old days. You had to come out of pocket really, really deep. Well, now you can put together an awesome idea, render it three dimensionally, um, put it out there, and 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 let's say you only have you know three or four hundred people that want it. They still get the game. I mean, I remember Jason, you introduced a, a Kickstarter board game to me. You are like, hey, I really like this guy. He's got great artwork and he's interesting ideas for games, and I was like holy crap, this is a, a, a totally new way of inverting the Hasbro, Milton, Bradley mm-hmm. model, yeah, was which those Hasbro. Red is Raven just, games. Yes, and, it, and they're great. Void. And what all Hasbro's going to do is try to figure out a new way to skin Monopoly, because Monopoly sells. Well, this yep. is the exact opposite. Come up with a new type of board game type and put it out there, and and, and don't go into bankruptcy because you're passionate about your board game
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah 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 I mean you had to either come out of pocket in your own money or convince a gaming company to do it for you right you had to go take it to Milton Bradley you know my my uncle used to design a lot of board games and he would take them to company after company and then just like never had legs right and I think it's because it 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 there's really I mean some of these games are sort of pushing the edge like I'm looking at Dark Souls here right that um that got funded um, when it when it came out. Dark Souls, the board game, and it you know earned three point seven million pounds. So that's like I don't know four point something million dollars. Um, and uh, anyway, th- like that's sure that's got like a, a pretty strong following in the video game IP. But like you know to to kind of take a chance on saying like we're gonna really invest a lot of time and money in the miniatures and the uh, you know, the mechanics of this game to make it feel like the, the, um, video game, um, that takes a, you know, in the back, back in the old days, that took a company having faith that they were going to make money, that there was enough of a following of a dark souls community that would carry this IP. Now with Kickstarter, you don't have to worry about it. You find those people and they find you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. After you make all your money, after you do your Kickstarter run, everything else that you sell after that can be profit because right. you sell 1000 over Kickstarter and you do a run of 2000 but the Kickstarter paid for your 2000 and so your back stock your back stock of unknown buyers you push those out you sell them because everyone you sell is money directly in your pocket it's it's very elegant this whole internet economy <laughs> it is it's, it's, it's an awesome. economy
0: of scale uh, as well i will say that there's one thing about you know being in you know i'm in I'm an engineer and I work in a uh, product sector, and there's parts that a lot of people don't understand. They look at these kickstarts and think, oh my gosh, they
1: put up this you board game, so and money. maybe yeah. I only need
0: 100,000, but I made a million, and that's amazing, and the problem is, is that now you have to scale your production to do a million in about the same time frame that you planned just to do 100000 worth of revenue in.
2: <laughs> oh, and yeah. And
0: there are some the major <laughs> manufacturing challenges in being able to scale in that same time span. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, some of these board games that I've run on Kickstarter, they're like, when you first do the campaign, they're like, yeah, you know, we're looking at like maybe an eight-month cycle before, you know, we can get them on the boat to you. And a year and a half later, they're like, yeah, we're just starting to get the first boat scheduled to pick up the first shipment from mm-hmm. the factory. Because they haven't been able to ramp up the production at the you know, at the gaming uh, print facilities, even you know, overseas for that. So there's some ch- some major challenges. Companies like Cmon who have been doing this, they've figured it out, right? They've got yeah. it, they know what's happening, they know what it's gonna take. You look at these onesie two man shops, and it's like their third, it's their second game they've made. It's the first time they've ever had this scale. You just, I think Kickstarter is great. You just have to be prepared as a user, an end-user Kickstarter, to let the company go through those growing pains and realize it may take you a while before you get that game. And then think in your head: nine months from now, am I still going to care about this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question to ask. Yeah, that's a great question to ask. And and I I was going to point out. I mean, you had talked about shipping issues earlier. You know, um, that another wrinkle to that not only just in the you know the the scaling production shipping issues right in terms of having to having to pay for it but the third aspect of it is that it, it used to be that you could um that, that that china was the promised land for printing all of these board games and miniatures and it still is to a certain effect uh, to, a, to a to a certain extent but um the costs of printing and shipping have gone up dramatically within the last two years like a ton um, we backed a Kickstarter for Shadow of the Demon Lord, Jason, and um, you yeah. know the the big thing was is that they offered a um, buy at cost hard book version that you could get um, because the cost of shipping and printing in China went up so much that it would have eaten up more than what the Kickstarter was worth. Yeah. So, um, I think that, you know, where Kickstarter really succeeded is that you, as a game designer, you, A, linked up with your fans, right, pretty easily, and they gave you money, um, so you didn't have to come out of pocket. Um, you could have some time, you know, like, I mean, a lot of these games in here, you're like, okay, like that, uh, the the game that I shared earlier, the Storm Sunder, um, it's saying that it's ready to ship March 2022, so we're talking two years from now is when that game will be out you mm-hmm. know um so you're you can give yourself time to fully develop it and really kind of hopefully scale up that production um so you know there there's going to be a lot of time um and and you made a great point about am i going to care about this game then and then now though the cost is going up about ship. you know it, it used to be that you could save a lot of money by it's, uh, exporting it I don't know if you can save as much now. I think those margins have been cut quite a bit.
0: Yeah, well, there's also the worry there was um, just with, you know, the current countries, and we're not going to get into politics at all, but the current countries, you know, trade um, policies slowed things down too when the deep madness second printing was coming to me. It paused for a bit as they were trying to just, even just trying to interpret the law and figure out if there were going to be effects on the shipping that happened. Uh, so there's just all sorts of things that can happen, but that's life. You just have to, yeah. it's not the same as just buying something on Amazon and having it two day shipped to you. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you don't back the Kickstarter, you see this game, you're like, oh my gosh, I really want to play this. And then it's going to be, um, you know, it, it, like if you don't back the Kickstarter, it, you know, instead of waiting two years for it, you're going to have to wait three. For it to get printed again. That's another thing is it creates a
0: a very strange
2: (laughs) new kinds of scarcity, which is you're either on the boat with Kickstarter or you're not because they owe you and they know it. But then everybody else is like, yeah, I'd like to play that game. Well, we'll do that on the second run. And, you know, there's stuff that comes and goes that never makes it out to the market. It was just the Kickstarter. And so, you know.
0: I've I've got got a couple of those in my closet.
2: Oh yeah, and um, you you got to ask yourself. You got to say, okay, well, I'm going to put the money up front. I'm going to wait a year, and then we'll see what happens. And it's like, Uh, I don't know. This, and sometimes it's not not the best fit for for your gaming. It, you know, some people have um, a pipeline of Kickstarters they have going, so they can wait mm-hmm. a year because the thing they ordered last year is starting to show up. It's like, and then it feels like something they got for free because they spent that money a year ago. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I used to do that. I used to have my Kickstarter pipeline, and I'd have at least one in the pipe at all times. And then I just kind of slowed down. I think it's a great thing just to get back to it. It it definitely provides a way to enable these smaller people who have ideas and maybe even invest a little bit in their own to get some marketing materials, just cut some concepts out there. And just test the waters. There's There's almost beyond your time, right, and a little bit out of your own pocket, it's a very much a a small investment up front to see if this thing is worth producing.
1: Right. Yeah. And and especially now with like, 3d printers and you know and and everybody can have adobe acrobat that you know or or illustrator can make nice books you know what i mean and and get them self-printed i mean you could come up with some really good demo copies i mean how many how many booths and you know uh tables did we see at gen con where they're like well this is a test game and we're gonna go on kickstarter so be looking for us and you know i mean like you see those all the time
2: Well, and we live in the golden age of three-dimensional minis. I hate to break the news to you. I mean, I was around in the 80s when companies like Grenadier would have to cast minis in, you know, with different metallic alloys, pewter, and so forth. And getting a hold of decent minis was tough. And... um, and now, um, the pin, the minis in, that you that that people just make in their own front rooms are just amazing compared to what we had in the nineteen eighties. So, I think you know it, we really are spoiled with riches when it comes to three dimensional gaming components.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: And Kickstarter, just a little piece of news that dates this show, but uh, the Kickstarter employees officially voted to unionize. Um, because they got into a disagreement with management over what Kickstarters um, should or shouldn't be put out there based on their community standards. So I'll let you all read up about that. Um, but it just goes to show that you know Kickstarter is a small company. They have you know less than a hundred employees, but they did have to fire a couple people or they did not have to fire uh, the uh, quite opposite, they chose to fire a couple employees who were trying to. Uh, organize a union, and they got the federal government involved. So, uh, you know, different kinds of growing pains, different kinds of growing pains. You know, Kickstarter, like you said, you know, you were using this in 2011, Justin, and I know Jay's been pulling board games down since about that era as well. But now it's a real platform that people can put a business case around, and, and the companies that do this type of crowdfunding have really matured which means they're unionizing. These aren't just startups full of a, a merry band of, a, you know, a dozen folks that believe in the big idea. This is people's livelihoods are associated with um, the way these companies run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know it's interesting and pretty serious growing pains when Uncle Sam has to get involved. Oh,
2: yeah. So oh, yeah.
1: Um, no anyway, kind. um Thank you guys so much for joining us for our uh, discussion on Kickstarter and a lot of other things today. Um, It's kind of a longer episode. I know we were gone for about two weeks, so we had a lot to talk about. And um, uh, Just as sort of a preview spoiler, I think I am. I haven't talked about this with Dan and Jason yet, but I'm going to start a Facebook page that we can maybe get some... Um, you know other things and links and stuff going we do have a guild nine gaming one but i thought it would be nice to have an actual tabletop and beyond that we can discuss the episodes and kind of get that going so i'm gonna make that as part of the guild nine gaming sort of uh, platform and um yeah we'll, we'll get that out there what's that
2: it's an ecosystem
1: it's an ecosystem it absolutely is so how can we get feedback if we don't have a place for them to give feedback that was my thought earlier today damn tootin yeah So, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Um, On behalf of everybody here, uh, have a good night. All right. See you guys.